All right, so uh, tonight we will be uh, looking at the text of Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 13. If you could turn in your Bibles to that. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. If you could please join me for a word of prayer. God, thank you for your word. God, let it speak into our lives with authority. Let it speak into my life with authority. God, feed us tonight. Let us get everything we can from this text. Hallowed be thy name. Amen. Loss. Man is devastated by the loss of a thing. The idea that status, prestige, a loved one, or even life itself can be quickly taken from us is absolutely terrifying. As fundamentally selfish beings, we want to keep what we have. We want to lose nothing. We especially don't want to give anything up. Like I said, man is a fundamentally selfish creature. We want to gain. In fact, prior to being called by God, this was the primary end of Abraham's life. Abraham lived in a pagan culture, a culture with values that are not terribly different from our culture. Both pagan and American culture focus on making a name for yourself, on the attainment of wealth and prestige as the primary signifier of personal worth. Abraham's culture, much like our own, fostered selfishness and a tendency to cling to the temporal and inconsequential things of this world. For Abraham to voluntarily sacrifice a thing was to act in a way that was contrary to everything he was brought up to think and believe and do. However, in the text we are examining tonight, this is precisely what Abraham is instructed to do. Not only is Abraham instructed to voluntarily sacrifice something, he is called to voluntarily sacrifice his son. Abraham is called to sacrifice that which is dearest to him to God. Bearing this thought in mind, let's look at the text in a little more detail. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, some translations of the text will say that God tempted Abraham. And while this is technically a correct 
translation, I, I think it really fails to convey the original Hebrew meaning. It's certainly not the same usage of the word that we see in the narrative of Matthew when Satan was tempting Jesus. This is not a temptation to sin or a temptation of the flesh. James 1.13 makes it abundantly clear that God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. The Hebrew word used here is nasah. Translated literally, the word means to put to the test. However, it should be duly noted that this word carries with it the implication of proving a thing, of proving something by putting to the test. It's a test with a specific point, an end in mind. I'd like to digress for a second. Hebrew culture was very, very focused on pragmatism. Their literature, literature clearly reflects this. The uh, Hebraic books of wisdom, such as Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, are very focused on ideas that can be applied directly to day-to-day -day life. This stands in stark contrast to our modern philosophy, which tends to be very lofty and idealistic. Understanding this, the word Nassau can better be understood. Understanding how they thought, we could really understand how they speak. And they spoke in a way that was relevant to their daily lives. So this test was something that was relevant to Abraham, very immediate and personal and close to Abraham. The text indicates that the test God was going to put Abraham through was not intended to be a light one. When the scripture states that God tested Abraham, it should be understood that this test was meant to prove Abraham. More specifically, this testing of Abraham was done by God in order to prove that Abraham was faithful. Through testing Abraham, God proved Abraham. God tested Abraham in order to demonstrate what faith was. This was done through his authoritative command, through a direct revelation of himself by his own spoken word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. One of the most interesting things to note here is the direct, personal way in which God speaks to Abraham. God calls Abraham by name, directly and with no intermediary. The communication here is similar to Genesis 3, 9 through 10, where God calls Adam and Eve from their hiding place in the trees. In both passages of Scripture, God speaks directly and personally, while at the same time with authority and gravity. God speaks as creator to his creation. God speaks as the sovereign, omniscient being over all the universe to the sinful, depraved thing called man. In this passage, the same spoken word with the power to bring the universe into existence is communicating with Abraham. God, in his infinite power, communicates to man with his infinitely powerful word. And he said, here am I. Abraham responded. Throughout his life of following God, there were steady occurrences of God speaking and Abraham responding. Now, this establishes something that is just absolutely incredible, and that is a dialogue with the Almighty himself. Abraham's life had been, in essence, a great dialogue between himself and God, direct communication and communion with God. God called to Abraham, and Abraham responded. Perhaps just as interesting as the existence of a dialogue, which in all reality is what we're all called to have, although we don't really hear God's spoken word because we have his written word. Uh, but more interesting than this is Abraham's continued response throughout this whole dialogue of his life. The word of God speaks into the life of the believer, and the believer responds. And he said, here am I. God speaks authoritatively into Abraham's life, and Abraham, having faith in his God, responds with willingness, saying, Here am I. 
It is in this moment, in the great dialogue of a great believer's life, that the test of his faith is framed. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So that the test is framed in the context of the dialogue, it is now defined clearly by God's spoken word. Abraham is instructed to kill Isaac. Now, this instruction is profound on multiple levels. First and foremost, Isaac is Abraham's only son. Now, at this point, for those of you who don't know the um, story of Abraham, he had already had a son named Ishmael, but Ishmael had been disowned, and this was a hard and painful process in and of itself. It was the losing of a son. And this left Isaac as the sole object of all paternal affection, the sole recipient of the love that a father can give his son. God blessed Abraham with the gift of a son, and now he is instructing Abraham to return that gift in a violent and grisly fashion. Secondly, uh, Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promises, which are described earlier in the book of Genesis in the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 6, which read, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now this was certainly a point of confusion for Abraham. Why would God have me kill the fulfillment of his promises to me? Abraham was a human being. He had all of the powers of thought and cognition that we have today. So he must have definitely been puzzled by this command to kill Isaac. God's command to kill Isaac constituted what appeared to be a discrepancy in this big dialogue between him and God. How, then, did Abraham follow through on a command that was completely beyond his comprehension? Faith. It was through faith in the revelation of God, through God's authoritative word, that Abraham was able to surmount his own uncertainty. It was through the belief that God had a divine plan, even though that plan was painful and hard, that Abraham was able to surmount his own weak human uncertainty and follow God's will and design for his life. It was through faith that Abraham obeyed God in spite of pain, doubt, and fear. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. The test is framed in the dialogue and defined by God's word. The test is then executed by Abraham's obedience. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. 
and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now this is, this is something we really need to take home. You see, immediately following direct communication with God, immediately after God had spoken into Abraham's life, Abraham began to obey. No doubt with some remnant of skepticism and pain in his heart, he nonetheless executed his obedience with expediency and urgency. Abraham acts. We are called to act. We are called to respond to the authoritative word of God spoken into our lives. I'd like to camp out here for a moment. You see, Christ followers are not instructed to waste any amount of the limited precious time that God has given us. We are not called to wait on some magical sign to tell us when to obey. We are called to obey. See, Abraham set a precedent for us all to follow. Just as he obeyed immediately after God spoke to him, so are we to obey. And we must obey with urgency. However, Abraham's actions are not totally uninhibited. See, James made it clear that God cannot be tempted by sin. The scripture also makes it clear that man, in his fallen state, is opposite of God, and even in opposition to God. In terms of nature, of his very essence, man is in direct opposition to God. Accordingly, man is tempted. If man is opposed in nature to God, and God in his holy nature cannot be tempted, then man is obviously very vulnerable to temptation. God cannot be tempted. Man can, and man is tempted. Abraham, then being a man, faced the temptation to disobey God. Although he began to execute his obedience to God immediately, it took three days to get to the place where Isaac was to be sacrificed. Three days. For three days, Abraham rode with his son. Abraham had to look the person he was to kill in the face for three days. I just want you to imagine the temptation of disobedience. I want you to imagine how sweet it must have seemed to disobey God during this time. Imagine how Abraham must have longed to disobey every time his son smiled, every time his son spoke to him, every time he had to look at his son, his only son, whom he loved, the object of all his paternal affections, with the knowledge that he was instructed to plunge a knife into his neck, slit his throat, and set his body on fire. I think the length of the trip is definitely worth noting. However, Abraham still obeys. The text reads, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. He took in his hand the very instruments of which his son was to be killed. And then they both went up together. However, the temptation to disobey does not leave Abraham quite yet. As Abraham ascends the mountain with his son in order to make the sacrifice, Isaac speaks to Abraham. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! I really like the way John Calvin describes this moment in his commentary on this particular passage. God produces here a new instrument of torture by which he, he may more and more torment the breast of Abraham already pierced with so many wounds. Now that is potent imagery. Abraham was suffering. More so, Abraham was suffering because of the test God was putting him through. This test of faith that he really probably didn't even fully understand at this point. As if the test were not already painful enough, God had it ordained in his will for Isaac to look at Abraham only moments before he was to be sacrificed and say to him in all earnest love and affection, My father. 
Now, the Hebrew phrase here is aniab. Translated, literally, it would come out to something like myself father or myself ancestor. But in the culture and context that it was said, it was a term of endearment and respect. Let's look at the words that are even in the phrase, ani, myself. This phrase includes the notion of self in such a way that it is immensely personal. Ancestor, father, these words bear with them the impressions of family, of love, of God's design. Embroiled in the meaning of this phrase is a very, very personal notion of family itself, of the love between a father and son. To put it simply, this was a very meaningful phrase. In fact, this phrase would have been so meaningful to Abraham that the pain he experienced when his son spoke these words to him must have been among the most intense feelings of his life. This moment could be described as the climax of Abraham's temptation. See, there was no violent force compelling Abraham to kill his son. He could, he could walk away. He had the full capacity to walk away from God's will and design, to take Isaac and leave, to disobey God and keep his son. But he does not do this. Abraham obeys. Despite the pain, despite the difficulty of the task at hand, Abraham obeyed God. I think this is a point that is applicable to the lives of each and every Christ follower in this room tonight, myself more than anyone else. Obeying God can be hard, but we must still obey God. We as Christ followers must obey God, must sacrifice every facet of our lives to Him if we are to truly have the type of relationship we are called to experience. We were made and created to experience. You see, human life is experienced in its fullness when God's will and design is followed. Sometimes that is hard. Follow in spite of that. Follow the way Abraham goes on to follow in the text. The Christ follower can and must follow God despite the difficulty of what God is calling them to do. If we are to follow the example of Christ, then we must live life with the mantra, not my will, but your will be done. We must follow the precedent set by Christ and follow Him in every facet of our lives. We are Christ followers, so we must follow Christ. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Through faith, Abraham obeys. Through his trust in God, through his faith in the infinite superiority of God's will and design, Abraham obeys. His son asks him where the lamb is for the burnt offering. Abraham could have broken at this point. He could have confessed that he was planning on killing Isaac and then descended the mountain weeping. But he does not turn from God's command. He persists in the will of God through faith in God. Abraham then comes to the place where the sacrifice is to occur. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham executes his obedience, overcoming the temptation to disobey by binding his son. This is the faithful, fateful moment in which Isaac is laid on the altar. In this moment, Abraham surrenders Isaac to God, presents his son as a sacrifice to God in the same way that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, our lives as a sacrifice to God. 
However, the sacrifice has not really occurred yet. There's still one more painful step in Abraham's sequence of actions, and that is the killing of his son. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. In this moment, Abraham has completely made the sacrifice. He has the knife in his hand. He has his arm reached out to kill his son. In his heart, Abraham had given up Isaac. Now later in the scripture, it speaks of the sacrifices already being made at this moment. Uh, this is clearly seen in Hebrews eleven seventeen, which reads, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham offered up Isaac in this moment. There was no turning back for Abraham, and there should be no turning back for us. I like to look at the first phrase again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. In this moment, as Abraham lifts the knife, Isaac is offered completely to God, and Abraham has been obedient through faith, by faith. In this moment, Abraham gave up his son, yielded him to God through faith. And that is the only way we can live the lives we have been called to live through faith in God and through faith in his authoritative word spoken into our lives. The scripture makes it apparent, makes it apparent that Abraham had faith that God will fulfill his promises, even though there is a superficial discrepancy in the ongoing dialogue between himself and God, with God instructing him to kill the very source of his promises. Abraham nonetheless trusted God and through faith obeyed God. However, Isaac's death is not the end recorded in the Genesis narrative. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham obeys by faith. By testing him, God has proven the faith of Abraham, has once and for all proven the ability of faith to move the human subject profoundly. Subsequently, the command given at the beginning of the story is countermanded. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now to get a proper understanding of the intervention at the altar, it is probably a good idea to get a proper understanding of who is doing the intervening. The angel of the Lord described in the passage is an instance of Christophany, that is, an appearance of Christ before his physical incarnation in the New Testament. Instances of Christophany are recorded throughout the Old Testament. The Hebrew from which we translate angel of the Lord is Malach Yahweh. The figure of Malach Yahweh is closely associated with Yahweh himself, yet is distinct from Yahweh, in the same fashion described in the Gospel of John. The Word was in God, and the Word was God, but... God and the Word were still two separate things. 
Malach Yahweh appears in Zechariah 3, 1 through 4. The text describes the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. I really love this next part. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Now, first and foremost, people, angels don't take away our iniquity. Only Christ does. Nothing takes away our iniquity but Christ. The angel of the Lord is called Malach Yahweh in the first verse of this text, and from then on is referred to as Jehovah, or anglicized as we know it, Jehovah, which is the proper name for God himself. Referring to Christ as angel of the Lord is done to make a clear distinction between Malach Yahweh from Yahweh, while still maintaining this inextricable link between the two. Bearing this in mind, the intervention of the angel of the Lord and the sacrifice of Isaac becomes exponentially more meaningful. You see, Christ himself, part of the blessed trinity, a manifestation of the sovereign God of the universe, called out, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham and all of his faith answered simply, Here I am. And with all the authority of the sovereign God, Christ himself, Malach Yahweh, says to Abraham, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing as how you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In this moment, a theme is established that will echo itself throughout Scripture. A sacrifice is required by God. Man attempts to make a sacrifice. Christ intervenes. Christ himself intervenes, providing the sacrifice. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Christ provides the sacrifice. Just as Abraham told the son he was to kill, God will provide for himself a ram for the burnt offering. From Moriah to Calvary, to now. Christ has always and will always provide. The story of Abraham and Isaac is one of the most thought-provoking narratives in all of Scripture. Of all the things that can be mined from this text, there are two things that I would like for us to take home tonight. Firstly, the Christ followers called to live a life of sacrifice. Christ followers are called to give up everything in their lives to God, every facet of their lives to God. At the beginning of Genesis 22, God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Throughout the New Testament, Christ instructed his disciples to give up everything to follow him. The calling of God to follow him and the calling of God to sacrifice our lives to him is the calling of God to trust him. Understanding this, there is a very profound truth that all believers should take home. Our lives are not ours. They are God's. We live for the glorification of God, and every facet of our lives are devoted to Him. Jesus Christ lived a life of sacrifice, and we are also to live a life of sacrifice. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever would save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We are instructed to come after Christ, to lose our lives in Him so that we may find our lives in Him.
For the Christ follower, the second truth we can mine from this text serves to reinforce the first truth. And for those of you who are not Christ followers, who have not experienced the grace of God in your life, I hope that this truth is a source of hope. Christ provides sacrifice. God hates sin. Subsequently, as sinners in our natural state, we are the objects of God's divine justice and wrath. There must be an object for his divine wrath. Existence is always quid pro quo, something for something, never something for nothing. However, just as Christ provided a ram to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac, he offered up his own being to bear the brunt of God's judgment. He allowed himself to become sin for us, to take on the whole of human depravity on the cross, so that by this act of grace, through faith in this act of grace, through repentance in this act of grace, man can be saved. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Christ himself said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So please, if you are lost, turn from your sins to Christ now. And if you are a Christ follower, bear his sacrifice in mind and understand that you are instructed to bear the cross yourself. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous German theologian, once said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If you would, please bow your heads and join me in a moment of prayer. God, thank you again for your word. And God, thank you for allowing your word to speak into our lives. God, I know that I myself need to repent of not always being willing to sacrifice my life to you. Pray that those who also need to repent of the same thing would do so now. I pray that those who are lost, lost as I was, would come to you and repent in you and understand that they need you and that we who are saved will still understand that we need you and will always need you. Hallowed be thy name. May all glory be unto you. Amen.